0: Ashley Haynes Gaspar, COO of the US Business Applications and Industry Clouds at Microsoft joins the podcast today. I'm extremely delighted to have Ashley join. A little bit about her and her background, she's a technology business leader, mother, wife, daughter, and friend. She's known to shape the hearts and minds of teams, customers, and partners to drive business transformation and outcomes at scale. Some of her specialties include her being a connector, architecting authenticity, wholehearted accountable cultures that develop courageous leaders. She's also a productive disruptor, creating a foot for culture of business, uncovering untapped opportunities through curiosity and deep customer-focused strategy. She's also a collaborator, thriving in complex and ambiguous situations, focused on getting teams, customers, partners excited about Microsoft's mission of transformation together. I've asked Ashley to come on today to talk to us a little bit about her leadership journey, but also to share some of the lessons that she's learned along the way and some of the principles that she adopts in her ongoing leadership growth journey. So without further ado, Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me.
1: It's a pleasure and that was a heck of an introduction. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Of course, absolutely. Well, talking about that introduction, you know, I obviously had a look at your profile and I looked at the history and the impact that you've been making along the way. You've had an incredible journey. I'd love to start our conversation off there. Like, Talk to me a little bit about you know, the very first job and how the journey started and how you became the impactful leader that you are today.
1: It feels like it was forever ago. Um, <laughs> but I would tell you, I was recruited right out of school into a rotational leadership program that existed in GE. And when I was recruited, uh, I knew I wanted to be a CMO. Um, And I was recruited into GE's insurance division. And I would tell you that that job taught me two very, very important things that I think set me up for where I am now. The first is you have to have passion for what you do. Um, And where I had a deep passion for GE, I was not passionate about insurance. Um, for me and how I'm wired, it was really hard to get up, fired up every day to tell customers, you know, one day you're not going to be able to feed yourself. You're not going to be able to dress yourself. You're not going to be able to bathe yourself. You need long-term care insurance. Like that was really hard <laughs> for me, um, cause it just wasn't something I was super passionate about. So, you know, where I was deeply committed to the company, I knew I needed to find a different division to contribute into the second thing that I learned, which was so, so important for me, um, that I watched happen weekly, was my CMO in deep struggle in business discussions with our CEO. And it was because the language of business is finance and they didn't speak finance. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everything we do in business is to move some financial metric. It's either to grow sales, it's to reduce cost, it's to expand service revenue, it's to drive price deflation. Um, And I knew that if I wanted to be a CMO and an impactful CMO, I needed to learn finance. So at the time in GE, the top uh, performers of these leadership development programs were invited to be part of their internal audit program. So I ran to the thing that scared me the most, which was balance sheets and income statements. I didn't know the difference between a debit and a credit when I started, and I ended up having that job for six years. And I think today that this is differentiating for me in a few ways. Number one, I learned finance and systems thinking really to get to the root of the issue and figure out how to create solutions around it. And I use both every day. The second was that I had the opportunity to live in 27 different countries, four months at a time. And it gave me a truly global perspective. And then I think third and perhaps most importantly, I really learned what I was capable of when i did something that scared me um so you know i just i'm so grateful for those foundational experiences because they really are part of the key fr- fabric of who i am and why i am
0: i love that you talked about there right just in terms of your journey in terms of how you transitioned into the first role and being to who you are by being just really driving your passion or identifying your passion and really being intentional and driving that forward but also putting yourself in the uncomfortable zone of taking on things like that incorporate finance, that really appreciate the transformation of every conversation and initiative that you're leading uh, as an individual or in the organization that you represent. But also, I love the fact uh, that you talked about some of the countries that you lived in there, because I want to talk a little bit about cultural adaptability maybe later on in our conversation. But when I look at your profile specifically, right, GE Marketing Coordinator to CEO at Microsoft, right? So obviously, tremendous uh, journey that you've been on along the way. Uh, with a lot of growth as well, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of ex- cool experiences as well that has happened along that way. If I were to ask you, like, if there were a few things, in addition to what you talked about around passion, going in the uncomfortable zone and then taking that leap to travel in multiple different regions, what were the specific things that you would say that you've had to highlight or had to achieve during your career for you to be set up, uh, to be recognized for some of those roles?
1: I love it and I I love the question because I think at its core like it's about brand right and this is one of my favorite topics so before we talk about leadership brand and I answer your question which I promise to do I'm going to flip the script a little bit and I'm going to ask you a question so (laughs) um, great companies that have awesome brands who do you think of
0: great companies that have awesome brands Ooh, that's a great question (laughs) obviously Microsoft Uh, I would go with Fang, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, yeah. Google.
1: All incredible companies. And they are all top of mind for you because they are both relevant to what their marketplace needs and they are differentiated from their peer group. And if we think about poorly managed brands, I think about like Borders as an example, like missed the Market was moving, technology passed them by, they held on to the beliefs that what made them successful is what would get them to the next level, right? They weren't nimble and agile in their growth and revisiting who they are and why they are. Um, They became irrelevant. You think about things like milk or gas or ice, like you're not going to pay a price premium because a particular bag of ice is colder and it's because those products are undifferentiated. So powerful brands are both highly relevant to what their marketplace needs and differentiated. And they're also well-managed outcomes. And the point is, is that like companies, people have brands. I have a brand, you have a brand. And similarly, like companies, personal brands are well-managed outcomes. The brands are clear, they're intentional, they know who they are, what they stand for. They are relevant, differentiated to what their marketplace needs. So part of my career growth and journey has been being very clear on what my unique value proposition is ensuring that my brand is both relevant and differentiated. And for people who have strong personal brands, their voice is heard, they're empowered, they have influence, they get price premiums. We all love a price premium, right? They're reinvested in for growth. These are all great things in our careers. I think the challenge is that we often aren't intentional in architecting our brand. And the irony is we would never do this. And our businesses are our companies. Like you would never launch a product without a go to market strategy. So this is what intentionality looks like around personal brand and a practice that I have that I revisit on an annual basis. The first thing I do is I figure out like the three hallmarks of my brand. What is the service I provide? I pressure test it. Is it relevant to what the market needs or are there different skills I need to go get based on how the company's evolving and the market's evolving? And then the second thing that I do is I look at differentiation from my peer group. Is it special enough? Like, so sometimes when I work with people on personal brand, they're like, well, I'm passionate. I'm like, so is everybody else. Try again, right? I'm committed. Well, so is everybody else. Try again. Like you've got to really get to true differentiation and your brand. So that's kind of step one, figure out what it is and what you do. The second thing is to email 10 people. Tell them not to overthink it. Three words, describe me. When you get those words back, you are testing for two things. The first thing that you're testing for is consistency. Because sometimes we show up differently with our leadership teams than we might with our peers, than we might, you know, for the people in the organization that that work for us. So you really want to make sure that you have that brand consistency because all of those brands that you mentioned are fabulously consistent across all of their channels. The second thing that you're testing for is alignment with how you want to be known. That'll give you a, a feel for how aspirational your brand is, which is totally okay. It means you got some work to do or how grounded your brand is in, in your reality. Um, and then the last thing you've got to do is you've got to say, okay, now that I know these things, what is my go-to-market plan? Who needs to know about me? What do they need to know? And how do I get them to know it so that you are managing to that outcome? Does that make sense?
0: 100%. Like, I love how you put that and I love how you tied that into recognizable names that you think of with brand right and how you translated that into really investing in yourself and just elevating uh your position in terms of your brand your relevancy is there a demand for it as well i also i really love testing for consistency around how you actually show up amongst a variety of different individuals right because if there's diversity in the feedback it gives you that opportunity to really determine where you should be changing growing or reflecting your brand a little differently. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I guess maybe jumping into that a little bit, one layer deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we think about leadership, right? You know, of course, there's a lot of individuals that we mentor that are in individual contributor roles and mm-hmm. might not be in a leadership by definition role, specifically yeah. in the organization that they represent. How do we as leaders enable them to start thinking about representing and building their brand even further? Because, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll talk to an individual that has a little bit of a natural and organic type of leadership trait, but not necessarily so passionate and driving it forward. And there might be some help and some coaching and some mentorship that we can that can be implied to, to provoke that brand development. So how would we lead like individuals to, to really think about and grow that?
1: Okay. So if you are a leader by definition and you're listening to this podcast, I would tell you your number one job in your teams is to tell your people that leadership is a verb and not a noun. Full stop. I communicate this all the time to the people in my team. Um, when they say, well, what do you think I should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? Right? We get paid to have opinions. Doesn't matter what, what role you are in the organization. You get paid to lead. It doesn't matter what role you are in the organization. And you know, I think if you are are, um, an individual contributor who doesn't have a team today that is listening to this podcast, go to your manager and say, I wanna do this work with you. I wanna build my personal brand. Here's what I think my personal brand is. Is that true to who you think I am, right? Are there certain pieces that feel aspirational? How do we position, right, me in the marketplace? If you are a leader of people listening to this call, you can do the same thing. Go to your people and say, hey, listen, how do you wanna be known? Let's work on that plan. And I will tell you that like I have taken control of my own leadership brand um, throughout my career. And I kind of do that in a few ways, like three, three pro tips. Number one, never throw away a how are you moment, right? If you were to say, Ashley, how are you today? I could say I'm great. I could say I'm tired. I could say my all time favorite, I'm busy, right? But if we're kind of sprinting through the hallway, you know and, and you're a big leader inside microsoft and you say ashley how are you and i'm like oh my gosh i'm having the time of my life transforming the heck out of business like people are growing things are great and i keep walking like that was a brand impression every interaction is a brand impression right so you can use those how are you moments and that is like not obnoxious brand building that's not like hey look at me like you know um glorifying yourself that's just a quick moment and if the leader has a minute you can stay engaged. engage, you're like, oh my gosh, tell me about transforming business. Oh my gosh, tell me about what you're doing to have fun. I love having fun in the workplace. If not, you've got a moment. The second thing I do, you guys can't tell people I do this. This will be our secret. Like, I structure my one-on-ones against my brand. The first thing I talk to my leader about is the first hallmark of my brand. The second thing I talk to my leader about is the second hallmark of my brand because I'm giving her a framework to think about me and the value that I bring that is consistent over time.
0: So that's that's uh, actually, that's incredible advice, right? Like, because I think that's super important. Uh, I love how you classified as well, the, the role and the definition of actually what leadership is. You know, it goes by example, making a difference doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in a leadership by title role, right? Making a difference is pretty much every single person in human society. So thank you so much for that description. And thank you also for the advice that you've outlined there. You know, specifically on that point, it like, kind of takes me to my next question a little bit, because when you think about some of the things that you're doing as a leader for a lot of the people that you're directly engaging with, uh, just in terms of helping them build their brand, that's key, very easy to understand and execute on as well and be very intentional with it. But you're obviously in a, in a very senior role. You're responsible for a very large organization, multiple individuals multiple customers, multiple partners, and then obviously a large impact to society overall through all of that different channels. When you think about how do you apply an intentionality in terms of the approach that you talked about across the people that you don't touch on a regular basis? So people that some of your leaders might be responsible for, like how do you ensure that 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 approach that you talked about from a brand building perspective is rolled out and consistent? to the individuals and people you might not be able to directly engage with?
1: So I think um, companies have brands. We as individuals have just now established that we have brands. Teams have brands, organizations have brands. And I think in business, we focus a lot on the what. The results we drive, the customers we serve, the impact we have, and we very rarely focus on the how. So when I joined Microsoft about four years ago, Um, you know, I worked with the team, the big team, to say, what are we in the business of doing? And we crowdsourced a manifesto. And, you know, it's about operating with passion and heart. It's about being innovators, kind of cheering failure because it breeds breakthroughs. It's about championing change, knowing it's the stuff of success. It's about challenging bureaucracy through simplicity. Um, it's about being bold and empowered to grow the business and each other, right? Um, It talks about how though we're experts, we take our work seriously, but we never lose our sense of humor and we always have fun. Kind of living at this intersection of technology and impassioned purpose. And what that really became was our how. How we were expected to show up with each other, how we were expected to show up with our customers, both internal and external in the roles that we have, And it became a way of being. And because we codified expectations of how people show up, we then had something to audit to. So I'm going to go back to my audit days, right? So quarterly, we would get together and we would say, okay, how aspirational is this? Versus how much of a lived reality is this? And are things that we can do in our culture and how we show up with each other to be even more awesome? I will tell you that the manifesto almost became like what we hired for and people there are certain types of people that are great in ambiguity there are people who like clarity like there are people who are great at risk taking there are people who pucker a little bit at the thought and it almost became like a bit of a cultural assessment of like who was the right fit for the team and then lastly you know I realized that um, who we are is how we lead who we are is how we lead and unless we get to the brass tacks of like who we are and why we are, we will forever subject people to our nonsense, right? And I knew that for this manifesto to live and for this culture to happen at scale, I had to model it, right? And it was really kind of for me this this belief system that our capacity to grow determines our capacity to lead I knew to do this, I had to commit to courage every day and I had to ask my people to do the same. Um, I knew that we needed to create hope and figure out how to unleash passion in this organization. And you know, I knew that I had to model risk-taking and accountability knowing that progress trumped perfection. So if somebody showed up in a meeting and it wasn't quite right, whether or not they tried a second time was dependent on how I showed up in that discussion. Right? So it was really about figuring out like how I controlled my own operating system to really unlock the potential in the people in the team and in the business so that we could all figure out how to achieve more than we thought was possible.
0: Wow, well, who we are is how we lead. I love that. I captured that because it really is a statement to being authentic mm-hmm. and really seeking to understand in an authentic fashion and then bringing out the best in the people that you're responsible for on a frequent basis, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, I have to ask you a question around the perpetual elephant in the room, which is the pandemic. You know, of (laughs) course, leadership has brought in some interesting styles and strategies on how to to lead effectively during this pandemic. So I'm curious on your art and science, obviously around leading in the pandemic and in the virtual world.
1: Yeah, I think the art and science is authenticity and vulnerability. I mean, I think it comes down to being that simple. Um, And again, amongst, You and uh, my new friends and in your, you know, podcast, you know, viewership or listenership, I will share with you, um, you know, I think we're all feeling the weight of everything that has been going on in the world for this past year. Um, It's been unexpected, unprecedented, and it's taken a toll, I think, on all of us individually, as well as our family and our friends. Um, And being authentic and vulnerable, I would tell you, uh, in many ways, I I'm feeling more stress at a higher frequency than I used to. I think all of our surge capacity is depleted. Um, And I think that the danger is that persistently high stress levels, if left unchecked, can lead to burnout. Um, So we have been talking a lot about burnout um, inside my organization, and more broadly inside Microsoft in the US. Now, in full disclosure, I am not an expert on burnout. I am not the map, make map maker on how to live a burnout-free life. I am just a fellow traveler on this journey that at times has gotten it very wrong. Um, so what we do is we've been talking about the science of burnout. Um, and I will tell you um, around October of last year, I was tired. I couldn't figure out how to get untired. The things, you know, I love like running and connecting with people became things that I had to do versus things that was a deep privilege to do or that I got to do. Um, And I was like carrying around like a thousand pounds of stress and stuff from the prior year just on my back. Um, And I was not effectively managing the stress from work, remote learning, aging parents, too much time in the same space, every single way that I recharged, being considered non-essential. Like It all had piled up. And my empathy tank was perilously close to empty. Um, And I was a little shorter with the ones that I loved, than I I aspire to be. And I just didn't have a lot of patience. Um, And I couldn't figure out how to get myself right side up. And one of my values is to lead with love. And it was really hard for me not to walk in my values when my empathy tank was perilously close to empty. So I found this podcast um, and I learned some really important things. It was a Brene Brown uh, and Emily and Amelia Nagasaki podcast on burnout. And it was a total game changer because it helped me understand the science of stress. Um, So imagine like way back in the day, you're hunting, you see this thing coming for you, it's fresh out of hibernation, it's a big hungry bear, it can kill you, it can maim you, it would be safe to say that this might cause you stress. Biologically, your body's like, whoa, right? Your limbic system comes online, that's the dinosaur part of your brain, it says fight or flight, fight or flight. Your heart races, your breathing quickens, your muscles tense, your stress hormones secrete, and it says now your time, fight or flight, what do you do? You run for your life, right? You run for your life. Now, like all biological processes, what I learned is that the stress response cycle that happens in these situations is the same beginning, middle, and end. The beginning is the bear. The middle is our system going rut, row, right? And then the end is when we run away and we find a safe place to rest. You dealt with the stressor, the bear. Biologically, you burned through the stress by running. You rested by the fire in the arms of someone you love signaling to your body that you are safe. The burst of activity and running for your life followed by that rest would complete the stress response cycle and bring it to closure, allow us to recover. Today, it's just not that easy. So today, right, there are stress from different places, a jerk in a meeting, a fire drill at work, someone cutting you off in traffic. So if you'll indulge me, like, let's apply the same biological traffic, right? There is a person in a meeting that's being like a total jerk, kicking all kinds of passive aggressive your way. Biologically, your body still goes, whoa, because your limbic system and your biology don't know the difference between the jerk and the meeting and the bear. So your limbic system comes online. The heart races, the breathing quickens, muscles tense, stress hormones secrete. It's the same process. But you typically wouldn't run for your life, right, from the jerk, though we might want to. Like You deal with the jerk. You turn down the temperature using all of your awesome people and conflict resolution skills, and your brain says, handled. But your body says, whoa, not so fast. The problem is you dealt with the stressor. Biologically, you have not dealt with the stress. And we have to deal with both. And the challenge is, I think, over the past 18 months, we have been ping-ponging from stressor to stressor, like meeting to meeting, deadline to deadline, homeschool to homeschool, sick parent to, you know, friend in need, focused on the one in front of us. And then when we handle the next, that makes us unable to find the release and the rest that we need. And it's all of these uncompleted, like, loops of stress buildup that can make it really hard to sleep and compromise you know my ability to manage the the next event that might be a trigger so i was kind of living in this stress cycle i hadn't figured out like how to how to complete it right because brain was saying bare mind was saying like situation handled um and what i learned is there are ways to complete the stress cycle to biologically tell our bodies that we're safe um, and there are things that we can do to mimic what our primal selves would have done when they experienced a threat. The first, quite simply, physical activity. Go for the run. Your body will know when you're done. It's when your endorphins release and you're like, ah, right. Breathing like box breathing has been a big fan. Uh, I've been a big fan of box breathing over the past 18 months. Positive social interaction with others signals to your body, you're safe. Laughter, believe it or not, a good 20 to 30 second laugh to the point where you're barely on the edge of control. You might be tearing a little bit signals the same stress response. A good cry. Also effective. Affection. 20 second hug. It has to be 20 seconds. My teenage daughter would tell you those are incredibly uncomfortable, but I'm holding her as I do a slow count to 20. I'm like, I need to signal to my body. I'm safe, baby girl. <laughs> She's like pushing away. Um, and creative expression. like, what Whether that's drawing, um, imagining doing art or playing music like creative expression is also an incredible way that I've learned um, around completing the stress cycle so what I found is if I can be intentional every day to make sure I'm doing one of these things I'm taking the science kind of applying my my art to it and I'm I'm feeling like a lot more grounded and a lot less
0: tired that that's Paul I feel like we can we can probably just have a podcast just on that specific topic right around burnout and how to manage stress thank you so much for crystal clearly articulating some of these ideas and some of the challenges you personally helped me as well right and i uh, i can't thank you enough for being mm-hmm. so vulnerable with your own personal journey as well right just in terms of how you've dealt with it i can only imagine like how that must you being your authentic self must have created a space for your teams around you Uh, to be themselves as well and and share the journey with you just in terms of their struggles and how they're managing burnout or stress, if it has been the case. We've talked about so much on this podcast, actually, but there's still so much that I want to get to, right? We've talked about passion. We've talked about the uncomfort zone. We've talked about building a brand. We've talked about your personal journey and then also dealing with burnout, dealing with stress in the art and science of leadership. But I'm super curious about belief. You believe... Mm in Believe and you obviously know where I'm going with that. (laughs) Uh, It seems to be a really big thing for you and what I love even more than you believing in Believe is the fact that you're on a regular journey to share uh, with individuals on how it can help people as well and I get this feeling that every time I look at some of your talks or approaches or posts about believing in Believe uh, it's distributed so broadly that even one, two, or three people that even myself take something away from it, it creates that impact, right? So I'm curious a little bit uh, on 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 your intention and then your thoughts behind uh, why do you believe and believe and and uh, your approach to sharing?
1: Thank you for that. Thank you for seeing me i feel I feel known and seen at this point in time, and I appreciate that. Um, why do I believe and believe? I I believe the greatest thing that we can do as leaders, verb, not noun, is to create energy in organizations and to manage uh, to manage energy in organizations. And you know the way that we do that kind of hinges on this conversation we've been having around authenticity. And unless you can create a space where people can say, whoa, I'm feeling a little burned out. Like, I'm having a hard time with your level nine energy right now because I'm at a two. Like, unless you can have that conversation, things won't land. You won't bring people on the journey. You know, and I think our job as leaders is to invite, again, now not verb. Our job as leaders is, our verb, not noun, sorry. Our job as leaders is to invite the uncomfortable conversation in the room. The conversation we need to have, not the one that we want to have. And I think when we can do that, we can really help bring people along the journey. And isn't that what leadership is, right? You know, and I would tell you, that's kind of like the first pillar to believing and believe, right? It's about creating and managing energy and organizations in an authentic environment. The second is like, just what I feel like I'm called to do and what my purpose here is. And I think my purpose is to help others to create and to find meaning, you know, and when I reflect and I think about the work that I am most proud of, whether it's as a leader, a wife, a mother, a daughter, or a friend, um, all of that work has one thing in common and it helps others connect to their meaning. Um, And I have to tell you, I have a daily win formula. It's one of the things I also found during COVID. Like I I got super curious. I was like, on the days that feel great, what do they have in common? (laughs) On the days that feel really horrible, what do they have in common? And how do I like make more of the great happen and less of the sucky like happen? Um, And I'll tell you like my personal win formula, the things that they have in common is I learn something new. I do something that matters. I do something fun and I make a difference for one person. And it's that last piece that I think is about believing and believe, right? It's about making a difference for people. Because when you do that, you just unlock so much potential in humans, in business, with customers, it's all upside.
0: That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ashley. Uh, You know, my, my last question to you, just as we end this off, right? Uh, You kind of touched on it a little bit there, just in terms of that answer, in terms of creating the energy, maintaining the energy, and then bringing out the best in individuals as well. In addition to that, uh, long, long, long from now, when it's all said and done, the leadership journey is over, what is it that you want to be known for as a leader? Mm.
1: I want to be known for transformation. Um, And I think there are three legs to that particular stool. I think the first is transforming businesses. Uh, thriving on the bleeding edge, taking things that are small and making them big, really unlocking markets, unleashing growth, like the fun stuff, right? The second is transforming culture, um, creating an environment where people do their best work, one that's fun and energizing and supportive, where people feel seen. And most importantly, where people feel safe to do their biggest dreaming and best risk-taking. And then the third um, leg of that stool is transforming people really helping them to unlock the potential in themselves to lead bigger than they ever thought was possible with impact beyond what they had ever dreamed um so i think i want my legacy really to align with the purpose that i talked about i just want my fingerprints all over everything around transformation and growth business culture human kind of those those three things
0: This is incredible, what a place to leave it, Ashley. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, You have an incredible journey. You know, I admire everything that you're doing from an impact perspective and making a difference to human society as well. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again.
1: Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much.